I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Financial inclusion, as we've heard many times on this podcast, can mean different things to different people around the world. This, as a result, creates all kinds of interesting questions once one strays from the beaten path of defining inclusion for large economies like those in China and the United States. Among the most intriguing, especially in the Western Hemisphere, what does financial inclusion look like for smaller middle-income countries looking to not only grow, but to also fundamentally transform their domestic economies? Well, I had the chance to get some answers from Avinash Perso, the chairman of the Board of Commissioners at the Barbados Financial Regulatory Commission. I met with him on location in Barbados at a Georgetown conference I organized with regulators on sustainable DeFi and financial inclusion. Now, Barbados is a really interesting place, and not just because of the sea turtles and beaches, which are, by the way, just fantastic. It's also worth a look because the country has been at the forefront of some pretty impressive technological forays of late, epitomized by the central role played by BIT, a Barbados-based fintech company in developing one of the world's first central bank digital currencies. So I was especially grateful to Mr. Perso, who at various times in his career has been an investor, a professor, and a regulator, for taking the time out to talk to our FinTech Beat listeners. Avinash, thanks so much for making it onto the show. Pleasure. When you think about this term of fintech in Barbados, what exactly does that mean to you? Particularly when you look at at Barbados and and its its interest in financial inclusion and and also financial development. We consider that term in, in many ways. We look at our main problems. Uh, one of our problems is that we have a very narrowly defined sort of ownership. Um, Capital is held by a very small number of people in Barbados because of our history. And we need to change that. Ownership matters. Uh, And we need new financial instruments that will help us distribute ownership to a wider set of people, people who would not normally want to hold on to assets. They'd rather sell them for cash. And so we need special new financial instruments. And then we have a fairly conservative banking system, which is not really taking a lot of risks. And so we need new types of risk takers. We we, we think we have missing markets in Barbados. And we think fintech could play a very good role in filling those missing markets with peer-to-peer lending, with crowd financing, uh, with a whole set of new financial institutions that will take risk in a way that the banks don't. Uh, I don't believe as a financial regulator that we should force the banks to take risks they're not comfortable with. They should be conservative lenders. They're collateralized lenders. Uh, but we need other people to take risks. And at the moment, the traditional sectors aren't doing that, so we need fintech to help us out. Many jurisdictions around the world are trying to think about their place as as sort of having a competitive advantage, you know, in this increasingly, well, really inherently global fintech ecosystem. 
and the case points for many countries is either their size or the population. Uh, what do you think is the competitive advantage for countries like Barbados when they are trying to really make their mark in this new emerging uh, services sector? I think our competitive advantage, and this will sound very immodest and arrogant, is our understanding of financial regulation. Because what's happening for small developing countries is that the fintech industry is often bigger than those countries. And they come along and they say, this is a fancy new technology. Here's the model legislation. Pass it. And many of our competitor countries, if I can call them that, are doing that without the regulatory capacity to manage that or even understand it. And we basically have a very focused, very disciplined approach to financial regulation. We say we're only here for two reasons, systemic risk, consumer protection. We say if you're coming along uh, and you've got a fancy new product that we don't really understand and you're going to sell to everybody, we're going to regulate you. We're not going to be fast to that. We're going to be slow. But if you come to us and say, um, I've got this innovation and I'm going to sell it to the 1,000 richest people in your country, we will approve it tomorrow because those are the people we want to be the innovators. They're the ones we want to take the risk. And we don't have a vulnerable consumer protection problem if they're doing it. So we have, I think, a very disciplined approach focused on the purpose of financial regulation which creates a huge acres, acres of, of space for innovation. Financial inclusion is one thing. Uh, financial innovation is, is really another. And uh, one observation that we've, that's, that's actually been made earlier uh, on this podcast is that the map for financial inclusion does not always map neatly into the map for financial innovation. And in that uh, you can have a jurisdiction where you're having lots of new, interesting, innovative ideas, but it's not necessarily going to be the case that that, that innovation trickles down into the local population in terms of serving the, the purpose of, of greater uh, financial inclusion. How do you create an ecosystem from the ground up when you're positioning yourself that really speaks to some of the objectives that you identified up front in, in terms of really allowing more people to participate, really, and not just in financial inclusion, but, but really in, in wealth creation. Technology has the capacity to be disruptive, but left on its own, it won't. In fact, what you're seeing now with, with the new technologies and social media and the new tech firms is that there's even more concentration of ownership and power than we used to have in the oil industry. If you remember the oil industry, if you're as old as me, you, you'll remember the Seven Sisters, seven major oil companies that, that really controlled huge amounts of power and wealth in the world. Today, you've got five tech giants who do the same thing. They're bigger than the seven were. So, you know, when new technologies come on the scene, they look very disruptive, they look very democratic, but as they evolve, there's a concentration. So the technology on itself doesn't do it, whatever the zealots may say. You need public policy to come in and use the technology, harness it in a way that will help inclusion and help to democratize the ownership of assets. Financial inclusion, and particularly fintech, has always had this uh, sort of uneasy relationship because on the one hand, financial uh, technology is a disruptor. And uh, at its best, it helps to sort of loosen uh, oligopolies and, and introduce more competition into financial markets. But you, you are hearing more uh, concerns, greater concerns about, uh, if not fintech firms, at least tech 
firms consolidating their positions and, and really able to set the agenda when it comes to financial market uh, practices and, and potentially regulation. When you look internationally and you think about things like tech companies entering into finance, uh, when you think about the changes that are happening where not just banks, but non-banks and, and, and even telecommunications com- companies are really seeing themselves at the vanguard of financial innovation. How does Barbados situate itself in, in this particular landscape uh, t- to make itself uh, competitive? And, and, and what does it look out as to the potential either risks or challenges as the entities I- intermediating and, and mediating finance are, are always evolving? So when these companies come to us, they're very product-driven. And they tell us about how the product will change everything. Technology is different and new. And we tend to take a technology-neutral position. We actually don't care about the technology. You could come with an abacus and a pencil if you want. We're focused on consumer protection. How is what you're doing, how are they risking consumers? Uh, and so we're indifferent. You could say it's blockchain or you could say it's something else. We look through the technology to see what's actually happening. What is the exposure of individuals? How have you protected their exposure and minimized their risk? Uh, and I think that that's actually a very supportive to innovation. So we don't say to someone when they come with a new technology, that technology we don't get. We, we're technology indifferent, uh, technology neutral. We're just looking at the activity. For Barbados, like any other country, including the United States, uh, international partnerships are important. But you know how you actually operationalize international partnerships, particularly in the fintech space, is always uh, tricky and, and it can be difficult. Uh, how do you view sort of the international engagement of Barbados, and, and, and what exactly are you up to now? So we started last year with the first joint regulatory sandbox between the Central Bank and the Financial Services Commission, which I chair. So that's basically the the bank regulator and the non-bank regulator. Uh, Because we we felt that much of the challenging new technologies were sort of creating a, a different space for themselves. They were in the payments side. They weren't really a bank and they weren't really a non-bank because payments are so connected to banks. So we started uh, last October with a new um, regulatory sandbox, a joint regulatory sandbox between the Financial Services Commission and the Central Bank of Barbados. So that's the non-bank regulator and the bank regulator. Uh, And we felt that was because a lot of the the new fintech companies were coming in, in a slightly different space. They weren't really a bank. They weren't taking deposits, they weren't giving loans, but they weren't really a non-bank either because they were so connected to payments. They needed a bank for final settlement, for example. Learning from that experience, now looking at a cross-border regulatory sandbox, I believe it will be the first. Uh, we're looking at Kenya uh, as our having a common regulatory space with Kenya. We hope to sign that later this year. We're looking at the United Arab Emirates for a common regulatory sandbox with them as well. Uh, And we think that this will really give our companies, our innovators, tremendous potential. You come and you innovate in Barbados, you're automatically open to selling your products in Kenya, in Dubai, and elsewhere. That that's extremely interesting. I mean, there are different kinds of MOUs that I know regulators sort of enter into with one another, but to to create a sandbox for sort of sharing ideas and information is 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 surprisingly uncommon. What is sort of the the objective for that sandbox? Where do you see it? it, it 
leading. When you mention a country like Kenya, known because of M-Pesa and a host of other kinds of innovations to be really at the forefront of, of financial innovation, what kinds of things are you seeking to realize in that uh, particular relationship? Well, you know, the, the, the secret to many things in life is diversity. We have a very traditional a safe, stable banking system. It's it's largely Canadian. The Canadian Scottish Presbyterians came uh, as missionaries uh, about 120 years ago. Uh, and as you know, God always follows mammon. And we're now thinking, though, that this banking system is almost too safe for us um, in the sense that they're not really aggressive risk takers. Um, the risk managers in Toronto understand developed country Canadian style risks. So we need exposure to people who understand different kinds of risks. Canada being the fact that that ultimately both the banking systems here in Barbados as well as Kenya, they have Canadian roots. Barbados banking system has Canadian roots, but not the Kenyan. So the reason why we're going to Kenya is because they are going to give us this diversity on payments and on their understanding of operating a banking system in a developing country. Fascinating. Avi, thank you so much for making it again on to the show. Thank you. Funding financial inclusion is in many instances just as hard as realizing it. This is because market-based ventures seeking to achieve it have to have business models that can scale quickly and at low marginal costs. Now, my hunch is that to achieve these kinds of results will require plenty of not only regulatory ingenuity in providing a suitable ecosystem for financially inclusive fintech firms, but it's also going to require administrative diplomacy, pairing like-minded countries together to help support the scale and market growth necessary for success. Countries like Barbados are probably especially well-suited to this kind of coordination, but they'll need the regulatory capacity and attention to detail to ensure optimal outcomes for their domestic stakeholders. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C H R I S B R U M M E R D R. We'd love to hear from you. FinTech Beat is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.